Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis-Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and in today's episode, I have an interview with thriller author Leighton Green, whose books I've been reading for years, particularly his Dominic Gray series, which merges international locations, religious and occult conspiracies, and action adventure, similar in many ways to my own Arcane series. And we talk about how Leighton researches his books, so that is coming up. So in this little introduction, I wanted to talk a bit about how I research my novels, because the most common question I get as a writer is how do you get your ideas? And for me, the number one way is travel and the places I visit. So when we're going to go somewhere, I always prepare in advance. So I'll get a guidebook and I'll check out churches, museums, art galleries and, you know, any sort of historical places and cultural places. Then I'll also go on atlasobscura.com, which enables you to search uh, a particular place for things that might not go in the guidebook. And I might also Google unusual places in the city or whatever. And then I'll make an itinerary. Now, some people don't like planning their trips, but for me, it's really important. So particularly in Europe, if you're visiting churches, galleries, museums, many of them close on a Monday. So if you're having a long weekend away, uh, which is something we do in Europe, um, then you can't go to a particular museum on a Monday. Uh, for others, it's a even if they're open, it's a really good idea to get tickets in advance, which you can from most of their websites. So I tend to have those things in. And because my husband is long suffering, <laughs> he usually really enjoys everywhere I take him to. But too many museums in a day can be a bit much. So I make sure there might be only one or two things on each day and then leave time for just wandering around, eating and drinking, all those wonderful things. So I prepare those particular places in advance. But once I'm in a location, then I'm staying alert for possible story details, things that might not have been in the guidebook or things that uh, when I'm there, I'm like, wow, that's interesting, or that's a useful bit of architecture, or that's a fascinating ruin. Uh, So Other things are, it's always surprising to me that the places I had assumed I would base a story are not the places that stand out. So, for example, about a year ago, we went to Amsterdam. Now, I'd been before, but my husband hadn't been, and I knew I wanted to write about the city. So I planned an itinerary, places like the Rijksmuseum and the Oudekerk, which is the old church, really incredible architecture, and the Hermetic Library, uh, which Dan Brown has funded um, because it helped him with his ideas. Now, these places should have brought story ideas to mind for me, but they didn't. And I left those locations going, oh, I just didn't feel that sense of curiosity that drives me forward into a story. But then we visited the Portuguese synagogue in Amsterdam And I hadn't realised how many Jews came from Portugal uh, after the expulsion. And we also 
visited the Etzheim Library, which stands for the Tree of Life and is the oldest functioning Jewish library in the world and has some incredible Kabbalah manuscripts. If you've read my Gates of Hell, you'll know uh, I'm interested in Kabbalah. And when we went there, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I found all these great books. And that was it. That's the feeling I get when I know there's a story I need to investigate further. And I started thinking about the next arcane book, which I've now decided is going to be called Tree of Life. And that trip then led us to Lisbon later in the year. Now, that's a book I haven't fully fleshed out yet, but Valley of Dry Bones is another good example because the research process <laughs> was just full of synchronicity. So I was in New Orleans or New Orleans, as uh, I discussed with Leighton later on, <laughs> uh, for a different writing trip. I knew I wanted to write more about the city, but it's very hard not to write cliche uh, in a place like New Orleans. And it's been written about so much, but I knew I could have a different take, something original. Now, I visited the St. Louis Cathedral and at the back I found the Toledo Bible. And I was like, why is there this Toledo Bible at the back? And that links it to Spain, Toledo being uh, an ancient city outside of Madrid. And I also found a painting of Father Antonio de Sedea, known as Père Antoine, in the Cabildo next, next door. Now, he was Supreme Officer of the Holy Inquisition of Cartagena in Louisiana. And I had that link with the Inquisition suddenly. And I thought, wow, this is two links to Spain. Obviously, the background of New Orleans, they were owned by Spain for a bit before the French. And so this led me to Toledo, near Madrid, we visited. And I found the original Bible there. And also at the same time, it wasn't at the same time, it was uh, different, about six months before, I think I'd been to San Francisco and visited Mission Dolores and found the, uh, again, a um, a friar bringing the Catholic faith up the west coast of the USA uh, to Mission Dolores. And then again, we were in Spain and I found a statue of this friar, Junipero Serra, where he began his ministry in the city, the old city of Palma. Literally, we were walking around near our hotel and there was there was this uh, monastery and a church and a big statue of him. And I couldn't believe it because... I was like, how come there's the statue in Palma and he's the guy who was in San Francisco? I mean, think about the way the world was hundreds of years ago, uh, or in fact, right now, <laughs> as I record this, it's the time of coronavirus when traveling is not so easy. So all of those things coalesced into thinking, how on earth does the Inquisition link from Spain and Toledo in Spain, particularly to New Orleans and San Francisco. And that's what led me to write Valley of Dry Bones. Now, again, the, the Catholic Church has a lot of holy relics and that's obviously what goes into it. And the, the uh, quote from Ezekiel is what gives the book its name. But the magic of writing books set in Europe to me is that they do have links across the whole world. And that gives you a way to research the next step. So those are some, I guess, quite convoluted examples, but it's always fascinating to me how just leaning into your curiosity can lead into a story idea. So a simpler example 
we moved to Bath here in the southwest of England in 2015 and we lived very close to an antique map shop run by an old guy. And I used to walk past it every day and I always looked in the window and because he changed his window quite often and I bought his book and I went in there and I wondered what it'd be like to dive into one of those maps and travel to a place without having to get on a plane. (laughs) And that idea and that map shop sparked the whole Map Walker trilogy. And if you've read uh, Map of Shadows opens in that map shop in Bath and um, then what was so fascinating is about a year later he retired and shut the shop down. It's now don't even know what they do. They have pictures in the windows, but it's not a map shop. And uh, so if I had moved to that place a year later, I may not have had that idea. So it really was so grounded in space and time. So as Layson and I also discuss in the interview, we both get a lot of inspiration from museums. And the British Museum in London is one of my regular haunts. If you are in London, please go to the British Museum. It's fantastic. I always find inspiration there. So an exhibition of holy relics made it into Crypt of Bone. Day of the Vikings is inspired by an exhibition I went to and actually I describe that exhibition uh, in the book. Uh, The Dark Queen short story was inspired by the Sunken Egypt exhibition about Thonis Heracleon. And for my London crime series, Blake Daniel works as a researcher at the British Museum. So that features in my books too. So I was thinking in another life, I I would probably have been an archaeologist or a museum archivist, perhaps something like that. So when I'm in a place, I take a lot of photos. I share them on Flickr and also now on Instagram at JFPenAuthor. And I buy lots of books, um, as you can often find local guides with much more detail than you can uh, on the internet. Um, Then I bring all of that back and somehow in my brain it coalesces into a story. (laughs) Now for my arcane books, I try to keep the places and history and religious aspects as real as possible and then twist it into fiction in certain aspects aspects, but I want you to believe it could be real. And perhaps it could. (laughs) Right, let's get into the interview with Leighton Green and a discussion on how he researches his thrillers. Leighton Green is the award-nominated international best-selling author of the Dominic Gray thrillers, as well as the Blackwood Saga fantasy series and loads of other books. Welcome, Leighton. Hi, Joanna. So nice to, to talk again. Oh, absolutely. So I wanted to ask first. So I first got to know you. I read The Summoner when it came out years ago now, and I knew I wanted more of your thrillers and we met later on. But tell us about the origins of that book with your travels in Africa. I will. And first off, I'm a fan of yours as well. I think it's almost funny how our interests in fiction coincide over the years. Um when you came out with your, was it Map Walker? Is that the, the name of that series? Yeah, Map Walker. Yeah. <laughs> Did she just take that from my head? I mean, that is ridiculous. <laughs> um, I love your ideas. But back to The Summoner, that was my first, really my, not the first novel that I wrote, but the first one that came out. And after I had written my first novel called The Letterbox, which is out now, I just was thinking, you know, I, I wanted to write a book that actually sold. So I thought, I was naturally drawn to mysteries and thrillers. And I thought, what would be cool and different and interesting? And my fiance at the time, my wife now is Zimbabwe, and and I had been doing some travel there. And I thought, not a lot of people go to Zimbabwe. And I am a huge traveler, as you know. 
And I thought, okay, I'll write about that, which turned out to be a strength and a weakness, a weakness in that I had so many editors love the book that say no one's interested in Zimbabwe, so we can't publish this book. And it turns out that they were kind of right, but it was also a strength. People that did like the book were the people that do love to travel to exotic places and were fascinated by that new culture. So I am a traveler that is bored by going to the same place. I won't say twice. I do like to do some repeat, but I really am intrigued by new and different cultures. And I I consider Zimbabwe a little bit Africa light, but it was my first time to Africa. And I say that because the English were there for a long time and are still there. And English is widely spoken. And the streets of Harare are wide and beautiful. And it's not a hard place to go, honestly. But then you go into the countryside and you see the villages and the exotic flora and fauna. And there's actually some really cool ruins there from the Shauna culture. They think they were around 800 AD and the Portuguese claim they discovered them, but obviously they were there for a very long time before that. So yeah, I think it was my first time to Africa and I was very excited to write about it and just explore that culture. And you also wrote about the occult in the area, or I guess the local religion in the book. So tell us about that. Okay. So another idea I had for this novel, I wrote about the Yoruban religion from Nigeria. But I wasn't going to Nigeria and had no plans. I started reading about cults and how they disseminated. And, you know, as you know, at that time and, and now again today, unfortunately, Zimbabwe is under, undergoing severe hardships economically. And when you have that sort of vacuum almost in a culture, things creep in. There are a lot of evangelical churches that have filled that void. But back when I was there, It was a little bit more the traditional religions. I sort of took that and ran with it. But the religion that I wrote about is actually the the Yoruban religion, which is kind of the the forebear of juju and not exactly voodoo, but a similar thing. So I took that and I set it in Zimbabwe. So why why are you so fascinated with the occult? Because it's come up in a lot of your Dominic Gray books. You know, what is it that attracts you? I think everything about it. And interesting note about the definition. So when I was writing, well, I'm still writing the Dominic Gray books. The occult in those books is sort of the supernatural or quasi-supernatural, anything strange and mysterious. But we you know, tend to think of it as vampires and werewolves and things that go bump in the night. <clears throat> and it can be that. But for the books I'm writing now, and I know we'll get to this in a minute, the, we're using a definition of the occult that just means all things hidden and mysterious. So there's that as well, whether it be science or even history that just isn't known to the general public. So I think the occult can have a, a broad definition. I've always been super fascinated by all things occult. I could have easily gotten a degree in theology. Not not that I it, that it's easy, but my interest was there. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean? In fact, I'd like to go back and pursue one. So any anything to do with the unknown, I've always been fascinated by. Yeah, me too. And I wondered, when you travel, do you plan your travel around your books? Or do you uh, find stories when you get there? Like, how do you research? That's a great question. And I'd actually be curious as to, you know, your answer to that as well. But it's about 50-50. Often, I will plan my books around where I want to travel. But of course, if the narrative takes me elsewhere, I'll follow the narrative, but usually they intertwine really closely. 
And there's always, you can always work a place into the plot that you haven't been before that you want to go. But I'll, I'll also say that a lot of my novels, as I'm getting into the plot and writing the story, things will come up or places will come up that I want to visit and I'll just decide, okay, it's on. That's going to be where I'm going and that's part of the story. And, and how do you document things when you're, when you're there? Do you take pictures? Do you write notes? Or do you write later? I've found that for me, the best way to do it is to take notes as I travel. I, I take some pictures, but I never look at them for, for writing. I will take my little moleskin notebook and my pen, and definitely the best part of my job. And I'll just go to a place and I'll walk around and I'll record my thoughts and impressions. And that I've found leads to my best writing. And then I, I guess both of us, again, you know, we base things around a lot of actual places and actual truth, and then we bend that. So how much do you stay true to the things you see when you travel and, and how much do you change it? I, I think a hallmark of my writing is that I try to stay as true as possible, especially when it comes to setting. And the only caveat to that is that you know the old parable of the blind men touching an elephant, where they'll each touch a different part of the elephant, so they'll come away with a vastly different conception of what an elephant is. Mm. I think it's a little bit like that with travel. So, for example, you know, I'll usually take Zimbabwe for example. I've been very pleased to, to know that people from Zimbabwe have liked that book and the descriptions of it, but it's probably written more for people that have not been to Zimbabwe or have only been a little bit. I've had plenty of books where I've had pe locals tell me that isn't how this place is. And I'm thinking, actually, it is. It was just my perception of it. You know, I remember I wrote about Bulgaria and I had a really nasty letter from a Bulgarian reader telling me that isn't what Bulgaria is really like. And she had a point in that it, there were lots more elements to it. I just didn't write about them. But what I wrote about was true in its own way. And do, I mean, do you think that we as outsiders, we see things in a different way than someone who lives there because by definition, we're outsiders. So we notice what's different. I think absolutely. And I think that's, you know, have you been paying attention to the kerfuffle about American Dirt, the novel yes. where a white woman with some Latino heritage has written a novel about the immigrant experience from Mexico to America? I won't get into censorship. If we start Telling people they can't write about experiences, we're going to take away a lot of literature. But yeah, it really depends on how the novel is framed. I think in the thriller space, it's a lot easier to write about characters that travel around the world and are experiencing things as they go rather than a serious literary memoir about, you know, growing up in a place, for example. Mm. Yeah, because I always think that what we see as outsiders is... It's almost like the platonic ideal of something. It, it Obviously, it's not the reality of a place, <laughs> but we almost see a distillation of a place. So my one day in Budapest, clearly Budapest has a lot of depth to it. But what I saw in my long weekend in Budapest was the right wing political situation, which has only got worse. And so that was the thing that really stood out for me, as well as the, you know, the lovely religious mummified hand. <laughs> In, in, yeah. the, in the church. But that it's almost that, that pure aspect of a place that you only get as an outsider. Exactly. And I think that's what people look for 
So really, you, you're talking about two things. And one is one is that. And that's I think that's what makes people read good fiction is they identify with with that platonic ideal. And then there's also the service of the plot, like, you know, your thrillers, my thrillers. That's what happened in Bulgaria. I was writing a rather creepy, you know, scene about Bulgaria. So I'm looking at cemeteries and, you know, these aspects that are a little uncomfortable. But that's part of it. It's just I was writing a horror thriller. So that's going to be there. Yeah, I totally agree. And you mentioned cemeteries. Of course, we both share a love <laughs> for cemeteries and graveyards and things. Just in terms of all your travels, what is your favorite graveyard or cemetery? Uh, that's just a wonderful question that I won't get from anyone else. So thank you. I try to put a cemetery in every novel, by the way, at least. <laughs> Me too. I have a lot of them. <laughs> I do too. I'm like, does anyone notice this? But my favorite c- cemetery I have a couple. I would say Highgate in London for just pure atmosphere and Père Lachaise in Paris for also atmosphere, but just the grandiosity of it. I went to Recoleta in Buenos Aires, which is always billed as the Père Lachaise. And I was a little bit disappointed, to be honest with you. Ah, see, I haven't been to that one, but I th- I've definitely put Highgate and Père Lachaise in, in my books. Uh, t- tell us which of your books contain those two cemeteries. <laughs> So, Père Le, how do you pronounce it? Oh, my French is horrible. I say Père Lachaise, but... <laughs> Père Lachaise, and you're English, so your French is probably much better than mine. So, and Père Lachaise was in the letterbox. It was a very prominent feature. And Highgate was... Not Highgate. That was in The, Di- the Diabolus, the third Dominic Gray novel. Fantastic. I know people are going to be looking at those. So talking of graveyards, um, we've also both written about New Orleans or New Orleans, as yeah. uh, depending on h- how people want to pronounce it, where you also attended law school. So how have you woven that city into your books? Because I think uh, similar to, well, similar to Zimbabwe in a way, the, the, the culture of African-American black culture woven in with the white culture is actually in Zimbabwe, kind of the other way around but still that multiculturalism is evident. Yeah, New Orleans, um, the, the locals might say Nolans, but I won't, I won't quite go there to sound like um, someone who's trying to say it. So I'll say in New Orleans, it's my favorite American city. Yeah, I was there for a couple of years and I go back at least twice a year, um, every year since. Uh, that, that city just to me has more sense of atmosphere and place and originality than any other city I've been to. I really, really love it. I just think it drips with atmosphere. It's catnip for a novelist. London is similar in that when I'm in London, I feel like I could write a novel a day just based on what I see. And, you know, a lot of cities, they're just sort of there and unchanging. They're they're great for what they are, but similar to, to much larger cities in New Orleans, you can have a different experience every day. And the city prides itself on beauty and music and art. And it's very atmospheric with all the live oaks and the dripping Spanish moss. It's just a really cool place. I can sit on St. Charles as the sun goes down and just feel like I'm in this really, you know, atmospheric city where anything could happen. Do you think that part of its attraction is how European it is? Partly. I think it's it's a very unique city. It's it's the most European American city, but it's also got it's very much its own thing. You know, from the Mardi Gras celebrations to I mean, there's celebrations 
all throughout the year in New Orleans. It's a city that loves to party, but there's also the voodoo element. There's the unique topography where it's built out of a swamp. And there's something about that sultry, steamy atmosphere that lends itself again to the atmosphere. So it's a lot of, and the food, the food's amazing. It's just a lot of elements. And I mean, with such a rich cultural history, how do you write about a city like New Orleans without getting into cliche? You know, it's hard. It's, it's right. It's, it's, I find it almost easier as a traveler to go to a, a brand new place because there's so much to say that had that, and it's easy to be original when I've never been to Zimbabwe and most people reading about it don't know about it either. So you're right. You know, when you write about Paris or London or New Orleans, it can be harder. And on the other hand, it's a lot easier to get lots of little details because it is so unique and so many things happen there and everything's so interesting. You know, you can throw in details rather easily. So in, in New Orleans, I tend to, in Zimbabwe, I might do grand sweeps to describe the setting. In New Orleans, it's more about little slices of life, minute, you know, the, the salt shaker how, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a table. And, and which of your books are around the city? The Letterbox. I wrote a Dominic Gray novella, which I love, and I kind of wish was a full novel called The Reaper's Game. And the fantasy series, The Brothers Three, it starts off in New Orleans and then goes to an alternate version of Earth. And the city, the main city, is based on New Orleans. It's like New Orleans with monsters and magic. Oh, cool. <laughs> I haven't actually read that series. And then this is an interesting question because I, I tackle it too with my Matt Walker books, is how much of your fantasy writing is based on real places? Another great question. And I think we're probably similar in that I think you'll get in my fantasy writing something you won't get with other fantasy books in that I do a lot of traveling. So what I did, <laughs> I think what is what you know, traveling and writing about travel is one of my strengths. So I took, I made earth into a fantasy world, or again, all of it has magic and monsters, but it's very similar in terms of the, it's like a medieval earth with magic and monsters. So I can go to Prague, for example, do some historical research and, and but write a bit, write about it as if I'm there. So I've kind of taken that tack to writing that series. Yeah, I think but Prague is one of those cities that pretty much is a fantasy city anyway. <laughs> exactly. Not, you don't have to imagine that much. No, you don't. So your latest uh, book and your new techno thriller series, uh, so the first book is Genesis Unknown 9, follows clues around museums and cultural sites around the world, which we, which we also both write about a lot. So what are some of the unusual things that you found uh, researching that book? Man, that entire book and the, the the whole research set for that book was mysterious and interesting. It is my favorite research project so far. These books are going to be a lot like the Dominic Gray novels in that there is occult elements and travel and mystery and intrigue. It's a little bit more on the science techno thriller side, but it's, you know, light. You can not even like science fiction or techno thrillers and enjoy these books. It's kind of a multicultural, Dan Brownish, you know, race across the world to find clues to puzzles in museums and other historical sites. But I did a lot of research in theoretical physics and ancient history for these novels, and it was really fascinating. And the kind of the angle we're going towards, there is a lot of history and science out there that people knew about thousands of years ago 
that has been forgotten or buried for whatever reason. For example, Democritus, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's an ancient philosopher that lived around a few centuries before Christ, Greek philosopher, who told us about the atom, the structure of the atom, 1,500 years before the West accepted it. And what happened was that knowledge was circulating a bit, you know, theoretically, but it was buried by the church who didn't like what it said about science and their worldview. And when I started reading about that, I was just absolutely fascinated and thinking, wow, where would science have been if that would have caught on instead? And did you travel to find the clues for this or did you research online? Well, you know me, I go everywhere, Joanna, every single place in my books I go to. And I'm a little, I guess that may be the next topic. I don't know what I'm going to do right now under quarantine. So yeah, for that novel, I traveled for, for novel number one, I went to Copenhagen, London, Egypt, Sweden, and New York. Oh, cool. So does that mean the Met is in it as well? The Met is not in those books. So no way, because the Met is full of so many cool things. <laughs> Met is, is super cool. The um, Natural History Museum in New York, New York Museum of Natural History is in it. And the V&A Museum is in it. And there's a lot of more unknown museums as well in books two and three. Give us, an, give us an example of one of those unknown museums, because, you know, people yeah. have heard of the big ones. The Kolkata Museum of Science and Technology. That's probably maybe not unknown in Kolkata, but yeah. Uh, that, you know, I knew you were going to ask that, and I should have looked up a few more. I even made up museums for these novels. <laughs> That's always a good way forward. <laughs> right. I would, go, I would go to museum and get, uh, and get inspired, like the Kolkata Museum. I made up a museum called the, I think I called it the Kolkata Science and Technology Institute, but yeah, if there was something I really wanted to feature, I may veer a little bit. But for the most part, I stayed true. And it's a, a good, well, okay, so it's very difficult when you go into a museum with the type of minds we have, and there are literally hundreds and thousands of objects. So how do you hone into objects that you'd like to write about when you walk into a museum like the British Museum in London, for example, which is yeah. yeah, overwhelming. So how do, how do you kind of cull it down? And you're right. Like I go in there and I just want to read every placard. I mean, I could spend my, my life in the British Museum and just waste it. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be wasted. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. And I, would do, I could read about everything. So, yeah, you're right. You have to boil it down. And I would say usually I have an idea for the plot and I'll go in and I know what section I'm going to and I'll just – like, you know, maybe I'll write about mummies. So I'll, I will spend a few hours or even a day in, in the Egyptian section. And then I'll usually get some ideas or inspiration that I hadn't thought of before. So it's a little bit of narrowing it down, but also being open to inspiration. Yeah, I tend to also go along to the special exhibitions. So I went to one on Viking history that ended up being my book, Day of the Vikings, which was, you know, neo-Vikings arrived to plunder yeah. the actual exhibition. So I've I've, cool. I've written about British Museum exhibitions in so many books. <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> <laughs> which is really fun. But as you mentioned, we're recording this in April 2020 during the coronavirus pandemic, which has us in lockdown. They've actually out today extended 
end of the lockdown here in the UK. So okay. neither of us can travel, which is kind of yeah. crazy for both our mental health, but also our job. So I wondered, does travel mean even more when it's not possible? And where will you be heading once lockdown is over? I think so. I had, I think, seven trips that have already been canceled or in the next few months will be canceled. So yeah, I know that, you know, other people are being hurt much worse, but that is my particular pain in this, in that thankfully I can still work because I'm just, I'm a novelist, so I can still write, but not, yeah, not leaving my house or my neighborhood is really hard because I, I, I yeah, travel is my lifeblood. So I think when it's over, I'll, I'll just try and repurpose some of the trips I was going to take. I need to travel for the third novel in the trilogy that I'm writing and that's going to take place all over Europe. So I'm looking forward to that. But even just going to the beach or the mountains or down to New Orleans, I'm really missing that. And can can you identify specifically what it is that travel gives you? I've never actually thought about that. I think it just opens up the world. I think I've always been someone who needs a little bit of stimulation. I like to be, I like to see and do new things. And funnily, I didn't travel until I was 20. I grew up in uh, a small town in Kentucky and then moved to Tennessee. And I think I'd been to the beach in my grandmother's house and that was it. And then when I went, I had a scholarship to college and I went to London for a semester and my eyes just, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be traveling the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm also just itchy, itchy foot at the moment, desperate to get out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. It um, is. You're in Bath, right? Yes, Bath, as we call it here. Bath. Okay, I'll, I'll stick with Bath. I think. But that, to you, that's like, oh, he's taking a wash. Nice. But I, it's one of my favorite cities too. So, are you able to walk around it at all? Yeah, we can uh, go for one walk a day, government allowed one walk a day, but not, you know, not for a long time. And it's it's very closed down, obviously, as as everywhere is. So it is quite a different place right now. Quite spooky though. So good for writing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I um, wanted to ask you, since so obviously we're all doing much more reading, so apart from your own books, what what are a few books that you would recommend that have incredible sense of place or that you love? Present company excluded, I would say someone that comes to mind is a writer named Michael Gruber. He is not, he's criminally, criminally unknown, but he writes amazing novels. And he wrote a series that I think you would like. They're thrillers that delve into the supernatural and the unknown, and they're set mostly in Miami. And Tropic of Night is the first. That has an amazing sense of place. I'm a huge fan of Martin Cruz Smith, and I think when I read Gorky Park, I think, wow, that he just absolutely nailed that setting. But I think my favorite of all, probably because he writes about New Orleans, is James Lee Burke. And if you haven't read him, I highly, highly recommend his Dave Robichaud mystery series. It's set mostly in New Orleans and a little bit in Montana. Well, we're talking about international thrillers. I've just read a fantastic trilogy by a Basque writer called Dolores Redondo. And the uh, it's called the Basque Trilogy. It's in translation. And it's just fantastic setting. I, and oh. I think it's the first novel in that trilogy. Yep. For, for the column. Oh, there you go. I'll link to that in the show notes because I just got into those books. And the devastating thing is that the fourth one hasn't been translated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's hope it will be. That is a bummer when a series just gets, you know, halfway through it and there's no more translations. No, exactly. Uh, No, it's difficult. But those are some great recommendations. Uh, So where can people find you and your books online? You can go to www.leightongreen.com is probably the best place to go. I'm on Facebook and, of course, Amazon and Goodreads is another good place. But the website, newly revamped website, is probably the best place to go. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Leighton. That was great. Thank you, Joanna. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.